First Peter chapter one, starting at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. On Explore This Word Hope, Peter writes to, this, to the church about us having a living hope. The human heart was made for hope. Viktor Frankl in his absolute masterpiece, Man's Search for Meaning, he explores and remembers his horrifying time as a prisoner in a concentration camp. And what he observes and teaches throughout his book is that the human heart survives because of hope. And it's actually at one point in his book that he observes one of the prisoners in the camp. And he pretty pointedly says, as he observes this prisoner, that the prisoner who lost faith in the future was doomed that our hearts are oriented towards hope, towards purpose and meaning, that our hearts come alive when we have something to look forward to. And you think about it. Remember as a kid, when a special day was coming up, when it was, whether it was a holiday or your birthday or you're going to be able to visit a friend, that you couldn't sleep at night. Everything about your life was just taken over by just the fact that you were looking forward to the day ahead of you. Or you think about us now as, as we dream about participating in something that might be bigger than us. Right? We're drawn to this idea that we might be able to be a part of something that would bring about good and lasting change in the world. The human heart thrives on hope. Our hearts were made for hope. And this may feel like it's going to be way out of left field, but I want you to go with me on this. I love logos. I love, I love when a company has a really solid logo. Because what, what they're attempting to do in designing a logo is to be able to say, this is who we are. And we want you to understand that in a moment. When you look at our logo, what we want you to do is to make some conclusions about us. We want your imaginations to be provoked. We want you to think in a certain way. Faith Community Church has a logo, and it's, and it's these four squares that are in the shape of a cross. Why four squares? Well, because we're a part of this denomination that, you, that, that is called Foursquare. And it's this, and it's this term that, ta- that means a strong and firm foundation. But I also look at our logo and I think about it as different people and and people from different neighborhoods and even different corners of the world all coming together 
being formed as a community of faith, but also a people coming together and being formed in the way of the cross. I love our logo. Well, one day I was driving down the street, and as I was driving, I came up upon a FedEx truck. And as I was driving by the truck, I noticed something in their logo that I had not seen before. And there, like a hidden gem that I just discovered in the moment, was this arrow that resides in between the letters E and X in FedEx. And I was filled with way more excitement than what was called for in the moment. Because what it did for me was just like, look at that. It was like it was made and put there purposely for us to discover. There was like this place of saying, this company knows who they are. It's this place of us discovering that they want to move us from one point to another. They want to carry things from one place to another. Speaking of arrows, when you think about the Amazon logo, I don't know if you realize this, but in the Amazon logo, there's this joyful, smiling looking arrow that's there in the logo. And it's actually purposely pointing from A to Z in Amazon. And what they're communicating is that they've got everything from A to Z. But it's not only that arrow, but it's also this joy. You think about all the boxes that arrive on your doorstep and the smile that comes upon your face as you get to open something. It's like opening a present. And for us, probably like every single day over this past year, we've opened a present on our front doors. But there's this smile, there's this joy that Amazon wants to provide as they provide you with everything from A to Z. I, I could obviously keep on going about all the different logos that I love, but the reason I bring this up is because... When we look at the early church, they had a symbol. They, there was a, a quite a few symbols that they would reflect on, but there was this one really dominant symbol, a key symbol for the community. When we look at the early church, archaeologists, when they, when they look at the different places uh, that the church resided, they would regularly come across this, this symbol. And actually, in one gravesite of the early church, There are 70 instances of this symbol being etched into gravesites. And that that symbol or that logo was an anchor. That what the church wanted to communicate to one another, what were they communicating in this anchor? That anchor meant hope. The church wanted to encourage one another. There is something firm strong that we hold on to in the most turbulent waters because the early church faced storms and suffering and pain but they were a people of hope they were people of resiliency and endurance Peter when he writes this letter to the church he is writing to a people that are ravaged by pain by persecution by suffering but, it, but we're surprised by his words because he writes with exuberance, with excitement, with expectation. He writes to the church. I mean, you listen to his words and he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He writes to the church in a way that just is celebration. God's mercy is great. He talks about joy. He talks about expectation. But he's writing to a people that have walked through all kinds of grief and loss and lament. 
The church had certainty. The church had steadfastness. The church was a people of hope. There was a potency to their hope. There was strength and certainty. And you could even use the words, they felt a, a, a sense of guarantee for what was ahead. That was the strength of their hope. You know, sometimes we use hope in, in really mild and weak ways. Almost like it might happen, it might not happen. I hope that it happens. I hope that I get yogurt land later today. But when Peter reflects on hope, he calls it alive. He calls it this living hope that, that changes everything about the way that the church views the times that they're navigating. You actually look at the way that the church talks about hope in another letter. In this letter called Hebrews, it says this. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. And how could they define hope with such certainty? How is it in even... As they navigate suffering and trials and tribulations, that Peter can talk to them in a way of saying that this will actually bring about joy and excitement and celebration for you. Why is it that when Peter talks about hope, he speaks of it as, as imperishable, undefiled and unfading? How is it that he's so confident as what God holds on for them? We're going to talk about it in three ways today. The reason that the church has hope. We'll talk about the fact of their hope being because of the past. We'll talk about their hope in the present. And we're going to talk about hope in terms of the parousia. And I'm going to explain that last term at the end of our time together. But let's first talk about the past. Here's why the church viewed hope with such strength and resiliency, seeing hope as trustworthy. It was because they were witnesses of what has already happened. Their view of what was ahead was because of what they witnessed in the past. This is why the Christian hope is so potent and trustworthy. Is because it wasn't based on their willpower. It wasn't because they had just positive thinking and a positive outlook on life. That wasn't what they were talking about when they talked about hope. What they were saying was is that God has already acted. When they looked at hope, it was, a, it was this. It was the fact that Easter changed everything. What they realized when they looked back is that they saw an empty tomb. And what that communicated was that God has already acted. And he has done an extremely significant work that has changed the course of all of human history. Heaven has invaded earth. <laughs> Jesus is alive. It's this point of saying, how can we be so confident? How can we, how can we be so assured in Jesus? is because we have already seen he is more powerful than sin and he is more powerful than the grave. So it's this matter of fact of saying like, is there anything 
that we can walk through? Is there anything that we can face in which Jesus' strength, his power, his redemption, and his renewal cannot visit us? No, because the tomb is empty. It's this point of celebration that says Jesus has already proven himself to be stronger than anything. He's alive. So that means whatever circumstance we are in, we are in that circumstance in Jesus. We're alive in him. So whatever we walk through, whatever we face, we do it in Jesus because he's alive and he's here and he's present. So they look to the past and it defines their present and it defines their future. For the church, the only way to look forward was to be changed by what's already happened on Easter. But let's talk about the present. Let's talk about the, the, the church that Peter writes to. Their current circumstances, their day-to-day life was filled with trial. It was filled with suffering. It was filled with pain. It was filled with turmoil. This was a church that navigated all kinds of persecution. Loved ones were martyrs, faced death, faced trials, faced persecution. Yet Peter writes to them in a way of saying that they would be filled with joy and expectation. Actually, as, as, as you look back at the early church, that what was running rampant in the, the, these times that the church was, was emerging into the world, there were pandemics and there was all kinds of poverty that was around them. There was all these different points of pain in the world. And the world was captivated by the church because they were so resilient. And they actually stepped in to these points of pain with the rest of the world. The church didn't run away from pain. They didn't run away from grief. But, but they, they willingly stepped into these points of pain in the world around them. And they brought a sense of hope. They brought this declaration that the world was actually different than what the world was seeing around them. Because they knew a new reality had broken in on the earth. Actually, I love that Peter describes this hope as a living hope. Because what for the church was something different. Something new had taken root in their hearts and their lives that began to permeate everything about them. When Peter talks about this hope, it's about this hope that's, that's overtaking and transforming all that they are. Think about hope in the terms of a yeast being planted in some dough. And the way that that yeast just, just seeks to just change everything about it. Tim Keller, in his book, Hope in Times of Fear, which I absolutely recommend to you, he says this, Faith in the resurrection implants that hope into the root of our souls. It becomes such a part of who we are that we can face anything. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then there is no space that the power, love, and comfort of Jesus cannot be found. Is there anything more powerful? Is there anything more that could be too dark. No, because the light of Jesus shines over us. He has broken in. 
It's this point of saying, where did resurrection happen? Resurrection happened at the grave. It's this point of recognizing that God does his best work in a tomb. And so whatever we walk through, whatever we face, we can be filled with expectation that we can find Jesus even here. He does incredible work in pain. He does incredible work in the darkness. And, and, and Peter uses this language to talk about hope as if, like, the space that, it, that, that Jesus is refining us. It's this space of saying that, that, that God's doing something within us as we navigate these points of pain. It's, it's, it's this space of recognizing he, He's at work. He's at work in our lives here and now. There's this beautiful psalm that, that talks about that those that, 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 that reap, or those that plant with tears will reap with joy. It's this place of, of recognizing that, that if we take our, our suffering and our pain, if we take the trials or any circumstance that we walk it through, and if we can plant that in Jesus, his ability to take those, those extremely difficult and challenging spaces, and he can produce something there. And the reason we're so confident of that, that he could do something here and now in the present, again, is because of the past. Is that he has overcome death he has overcome sin. And so we know we can, you can meet us in any space here today. There's a song that I love. It's called You Keep Hope Alive. And it just, it reflects on it this way. There's hope in the morning. Hope in the evening. It's hope because you're living. Hope because you're breathing. There's hope in the breaking. There's hope in the sorrow. There's hope for this moment. Because the resurrection shouts to us that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is active and alive and is in us and in the world today. His power, his redemption, his, his renewal has come in a significant way here and now. See, when you look through the pages of Scripture... What you find is that our, the emphasis of Scripture isn't that we would try to make a way to Jesus, but it's this point of, of, of celebration and declaration that Jesus has come here. And when, when it talks about heaven, the, when the Bible uses this word of heaven, it's talking about the very real presence, the reign of a king. It's talking about the presence of Jesus and his reigning over us. And so when we, that's why we pray that your, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're calling for heaven to be here. We're saying, God, would your presence be here? Because we have this hope that heaven is here today. That we get to experience glimpses of God's breaking in his resurrection power. Now, here in this space. We can't make it to him, but he's always making effort to come to us. And so that's why Pastor Dave Lomas, he, he, he says this, that it's a misnomer that the goal of the Christian faith is about getting to heaven when you die. The goal of the Christian faith is to respond to heaven 
now and live under its rule here on earth. It's the space of saying, Jesus, I can respond to you here and now. I can experience and get glimpses of your presence here and now, whatever I face. Simply put, what we are saying is, why wait? Step into a life in Jesus here and now. His power, his redemption, and his renewal comes in a significant way here and now. Here's the brilliant way that that scholar, theologian, pastor N.T. Wright says it. Salvation then is not going to heaven, but being raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. But as soon as we put it like that, We realize that the New Testament is full of hints, indications, and downright assertions that this salvation isn't just something we have to wait for in the long-distance future. We can enjoy it here and now. Always partially, of course, since we all still have to die, but genuinely anticipating in the present what is to come in the future. See, like I said, his power, his redemption, his renewal has come in a significant way here and now. But it's also coming in a full and complete way. Which leads us to this foundational point and our last point. The foundational, the belief of the church is this. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come Again, there's this word that we use, perusia. It means arrival. It means presence. It's this point in which we say, Jesus has come. He has inaugurated a new kingdom, a new reign, and a new people here and now because of what happened in that empty tomb on Easter. But we look forward to the day when he will bring that work into full completion when he will perfectly bring heaven here on earth, where he will perfectly dwell with all humanity. God's very real presence is here and now because Jesus rose from the grave. We will not underestimate that truth. We're alive to Jesus' reign here now. But we live with an expectation for his full, perfect presence that will dwell with us in the future. He will arrive. He will come. The way that I want you to view it is this. I'm going to pull up this this graphic on the screen. And what I want you to see is that there's there's this bottom arrow. And what it demonstrates is this is reality now. This is, this is the space that we live in. And along this arrow, from the beginning, from creation, there came a point in which Jesus' resurrection, the, the tomb, the, the cross, and then the empty tomb happened. And when that took place, Jesus brought in a new arrow. And that is the space of saying he is now brought in, heaven has broken in here on earth. But the reality is that that bottom arrow keeps on going. There is still a present, the Bible uses age that's taking place. There's this present reality that's happening. But there's this new reality that's come into the earth. And then there's going to be this parousia. 
There's going to be this place in which Jesus comes again. And when he comes again, that's going to be the point in which God creates a new heaven and a new earth. A place in which heaven and earth are perfectly married together. And so now, this present time is the church we live in between these two different realities. We live in these two very real spaces that exist. We look back and we see a a, a real historical event. Jesus rose from the grave and he inaugurated something new. But we also look forward to the time when he will perfectly bring to completion that which he has already started and brought into the world. And so we live in this space. We live in this dynamic where we recognize the pain, the suffering, the reality of the world around us, but we live in a space where we are getting constant glimpses of what Jesus has already brought into the world. And so as followers of Christ, we live in this dynamic, this tension of saying, I'm I'm alive to Jesus' presence here and now, but I recognize that it's not perfect yet. But it's this place of saying what he did then, that point of resurrection, it is God telling us that is a guarantee of what I will do. That is a guarantee for what I will do. That's why the church had such steadfastness. That's why the church had used words like like imperishable. That's why when Peter says that that, that this inheritance is kept from you in heaven, the language that he's using is this reality God has already brought in. That's why it's so guaranteed that it's kept for you with God's presence. And you can get glimpses of it now. You can experience it now. You You can interact with the risen Jesus and his spirit now. Everything has changed. His kingdom, his presence, his reign is here and, and, it's, and it's now in an absolute staggering way, in a significant way. Oh, but our hearts are filled because we're constantly getting tastes of it, glimpses of it. And so we're filled with expectation, anticipation because we say, yes, let your kingdom come here on earth. Jesus, we long for your parousia. See, the the resurrection is a guarantee of what is to come. And that is why the church is so dang resolute of what the future will look like. Because in Jesus, they're getting pictures of it. We're going to enter into this song and some of the the, the words of this song. We're saying, and in that morning that you raise, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good. For the Lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born and the Spirit lit the flame. Now the, this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint by his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. We say, yes, Jesus, I respond to your rule, your reign, your very real presence right here, right now. But I also cry out with great expectation, Jesus, come. Let let your reign, let heaven come here on earth.